Hey everybody, welcome to the Emmanuel Truro Podcast. I'm Pastor Michael Fredericks, the lead pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Truro, Nova Scotia. Welcome to our podcast, where we raise good questions and seek good answers with the Bible as our guide. This is not an every week podcast, this is an occasional podcast that we do here when um, when we have a good question that's come up. Maybe it's something that's been raised because of a sermon that I've preached, uh, or uh, in, in our Bible studies, is some, a question that's come up, or something that someone has asked me over email. Just there's so many great theology and Bible questions, and, and that you know sometimes it just warrants a deeper discussion. So that's what this podcast is all about. I've been preaching through the book of Hebrews on Sunday mornings, and Hebrews is a meaty book, okay? It is deep, it's hard at times, it's not the easiest book to interpret, but it is so rich and so good. And uh, one of the things that has come up in the book of Hebrews is this person by the name of Melchizedek. Last Sunday, I preached on how Jesus is the great, the ultimate, the perfect, the best high priest and Melchizedek has come up. So today, the question that we're going to answer is, what's up with Melchizedek? Who's this guy? What is this about? What does this have to do with Jesus? Why is it in the book of Hebrews? So we're going to answer that question. What's up with Melchizedek? Melchizedek arrives to us in Hebrews chapter 7 primarily. He shows up a few times. Uh, before that, in uh, chapters 5 and 6, where it says that uh, Jesus has become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, that he belongs to the Melchizedek priesthood. He's that kind of a priest, as opposed to the priesthood of Aaron, the Levites. So, what does it mean that Jesus is in the priesthood of Melchizedek? So, chapter 7 of Hebrews is where we really get the, the biggest amount of content in the book of Hebrews on Melchizedek. So let me just read a few verses there to get us started. Hebrews 7, verses 1 to 4 says this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. Verse 4, See how great this man was, to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Okay, now, this raises some questions, and there's lots more we're going to say here, but first of all, what's this about he's without father or mother, he has no beginning of days, end of life. He's a priest forever. Is this some mystical person, a supernatural being? Is he a human or something more than that? Well, let's find the only reference. Uh, there's only two references in the Old Testament to Melchizedek. The first is in Genesis 14, where we see his actual story play out. And then in Psalm 110, where he's referenced. So, Let's go to Genesis 14, and let me just read for you uh, the, the only real information we have in the Bible about Melchizedek. Genesis chapter 14, and uh, we go at verse 17. The story is, this is back in the time of Abraham. He was Abram at the time. 
Uh, he's new, newly installed into the promised land, the, the land of Canaan. And uh, God has called him there. He has uh, gone and uh, fought this battle to rescue his nephew Lot. That's happened. It says, after his return from the, de- to the defeat of Chedor Laomer and the kings who were with him, so uh, he you know, wins this battle, Abraham does, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley, and who else went out to meet Abraham to congratulate him on this victory? It says, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And then in brackets it says, he was priest of God Most High. And what did Melchizedek do with Abraham? And he blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay, that's it. That's all we have in the Old Testament about Melchizedek, aside from Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm that's oft repeated in the New Testament, which does say that the Messiah will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which is the exact language that's then adopted by the author of Hebrews. Okay, so Melchizedek, we've got this story. Abram Abram wins this battle, and out comes this man named Melchizedek, who is described as the king of Salem, and a priest of the Most High God. Okay, first of all, king of Salem. What does that mean? Well, he's the king of a place called Salem, literally the king, the ruler of that place, called Salem, which means peace. And Salem is what would later become Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So he was the king of what would be Jerusalem. This is pretty cool, pretty significant. Um, So he comes out. King of Jerusalem, his name is Melchizedek, which literally translates to King of Righteousness. He is a priest, it says, of the one true God, the Most High God. Now, this is interesting. We sometimes think, I know I have often sort of just thought that, you know, at the time of Abram or Abraham, he was like the only guy who knew God, right? You'd think he's called by God to go into the land of Canaan, and he's like, God's person. But that's kind of a narrow view. Of course, God made himself known to other people as well. We've got guys like Noah and Job, both of whom came before Abraham and knew the Lord and obeyed the Lord and served and served the Lord, the one true God. And so Melchizedek is another example of this. Here's a, a man who is a priest of the one true God apart from uh, Abram and the story of Israel. So that's pretty cool. Okay, so what does Melchizedek do? He goes out and he gives Abraham a gift. He, he, he gives him a gift of bread and wine. And back a couple of podcast episodes ago, we talked about wine and how that is a symbol of God's blessing and, and it's a good thing. And, and uh, so you can go back and listen to that if you're interested in hearing about wine. But um, we see that again. It's a gift. It's a good gift. But also notice bread and wine. Do you see any tie-in possibly with the New Testament there? Yes, of course. A possible foreshadowing here to the Lord's Supper, bread and wine. Clement of Alexandria, an early church father writing in the late 2nd century, he made that connection as well. He thinks 
that the gift of bread and wine from Melchizedek to Abraham is a foreshadowing of the Eucharist, of the Lord's Supper. Okay, so Melchizedek uh, gives Abraham this gift of bread and wine. He blesses Abraham, and then Abraham responds by giving Melchizedek a tithe, 10% of all that he collected from his military victory. All right, so that's this. That's that's what we know from Scripture. Now, in Hebrews, we get more. We get more information uh, that points us back to this guy, and it gives us these indications that maybe Melchizedek was a supernatural being. Could that be true? Well, some have speculated that Melchizedek is a Christophany. A Christophany is uh, another word for an appearance of Christ. Before his incarnation, a, like an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Other people have said maybe the fourth person in the fiery furnace with, uh, with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. Maybe that fourth person was actually Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus, a Christophany in the Old Testament. And, and some have said Melchizedek could be a, a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus before his incarnation in the New Testament. Um, could be. No reason to think that that's actually what's happening here. Just an interesting thought. Others, as I've said, speculated that he was a, a godlike, superhuman figure, perhaps angelic, a divine being. There is some evidence from ancient non-biblical texts that would lead us to think maybe that's true. So, for example, the second book of Enoch is a Jewish sectarian work of the first century A.D. So, contemporary to the time of Jesus in the early church, this book of Second Enoch was written, the second book of Enoch. And according to Wikipedia, it says, the last section of the work of the second book of Enoch, the exaltation of Melchizedek, it's called, tells how Melchizedek was born of a virgin, Sopanima is her name, the wife of Nir, a brother of Noah. Again, none of this is in the Bible. This is just something that was written in the first century. And, uh, and this, the child that was born, this virgin birth child uh, that came out from the mother, she, the mother died, so Benima died, and uh, after she died, the baby was born, and sitting beside her, he sat beside her corpse, already physically developed, clothed, speaking and blessing the Lord, and marked with the badge of priesthood. And this is apparently Melchizedek. Forty days later, Melchizedek was taken by the archangel Gabriel, to the Garden of Eden, and was thus preserved from the deluge without having to be in Noah's Ark. Okay, that's weird. Uh, gotta say, that doesn't have the ring of truth about it, does it? It sounds like a fictional tale of some sort about the possible origins of Melchizedek. Then we also have, from around the same time, first century, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? The, you've probably heard of those before. These ancient scrolls found in uh, caves, in jars, in, uh, in the desert near the Dead Sea, in a place called Qumran. These were found in the 20th century, in the 1900s. And they, these were scrolls, ancient texts, that were, that were, that were uh, preserved by a community called the Essenes. These were a, this was a Gnostic community, a sect of Judaism, 
So in the time of Jesus, there was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and another group, smaller uh, and less significant, but that did exist, the Essenes. Okay, The Essenes were like a mystical group. They, they lived in these little colonies and they practiced asceticism. Um, it was, they were interesting. Mystical beliefs or Gnostic beliefs. Um, and they had some beliefs that ventured well outside of normal Judaism. And one of their scrolls that they wrote and preserved um, it refers to Melchizedek, and it refers to him as a divine being. It uses the word God to refer to Melchizedek. Another scroll that was found uh, in amongst the, the Dead Sea Scrolls suggests that Melchizedek is Michael the archangel and a heavenly priest. Okay, so there's some other views about who Melchizedek is. What else? There's also uh, some rabbinic rabbinic schools over the centuries who have suggested that Melchizedek could be Noah's son Shem by a different name. Wow. And that's only the tip, tip of the iceberg. You could keep doing a deep dive into theories on who Melchizedek is when really all we have is a couple of verses in Genesis chapter 14. Okay, so what's the truth? Well, we... We don't really know. I mean, there's one camp that says he's heavenly and the other camp that says he's historical. Um, you know, and, and I think really there's no reason to believe he was anything other than a normal human being who happened to be the king of Salem, a precursor to Jerusalem, and a priest who followed the one true God. But what about all that stuff in Hebrews? about him having no family and living forever and all that. Well, two things to consider there. Number one, the author of Hebrews is aware, I'm sure, of all of the speculation in his day, or her day, we don't know if it was a man or woman who wrote Hebrews, um, the speculation in his or her day about Melchizedek. The ideas were floating around out there, that this guy has divine origin, that maybe he's an angel, uh, all that kind of stuff. And so I think the author of Hebrews possibly just taking these ideas that are out there without commenting on their truthfulness, just saying, you know, in the same way that, you know, it's understood that Melchizedek, uh, by some, understood by some, that he's, a, you know, a, an eternal being, um, that, that uh, that's like Jesus too, right? So he's possibly just taking these ideas from his culture and uh, using them to make his point. The other thought is that the author here is showing how ultimately unimportant tribal lineage is when it comes to the priesthood. This is pretty important, and it it becomes more important as we go along here. Verse 3. Let me read verse 3 again of Hebrews chapter 7. He is without father or mother or genealogy. That word is important. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. I think you could understand that in a literal, not in, sorry, not a literal sense, but in a literary sense, okay? So what I think the author of Hebrews is possibly saying here is that Melchizedek, he is without father or mother or genealogy, meaning we don't know. that We have no uh, evidence in any text. Uh, it's not mentioned in Genesis who his father or mother is, or his family tree. We just don't know that. He's without that, literarily speaking. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life. We don't know his biography. We don't know when he was born. 
where he came from. We don't know when he died. So he has this sort of timeless nature to him. Not that he is literally eternal, literally born of a virgin or whatever. But it says he resembles the Son of God, and and he continues as a priest forever. His priesthood, because we don't have any any knowledge of how it started, where he came from, when it ended, it continues forever in a timeless sense. I was thinking about this like, um, I actually heard someone else explain it this way, like how Elvis Presley, you know, Elvis, we understood, we understand Elvis died. Now, some people say he didn't really die. He went in hiding or something, right? In fact, when I was in grade 12 in, in our English class, we had, to, um, we had to write an essay defending either why we think Elvis is still alive somewhere in the world or why he's dead. Now, I graduated high school a long time ago. I think probably Elvis would be too old to be alive today. I'm not sure on that. I'm not sure when he was born. But anyway, that doesn't really matter. Okay, stop talking about Elvis. The point is... People say, Elvis lives, man, you know, like in a timeless sense. He, he's like, he lives on in our hearts. He lives on forever, okay? That's kind of what Melchizedek is like. He's, we don't know really about certainty about his death, so he kind of lives on forever in, in a sense like that. The other key word here is resembling, that he resembles the Son of God. Melchizedek resembles the Son of God. He resembles Jesus, doesn't say he is Jesus. So that's one reason why I think the Christophany theory is is unnecessary and highly unlikely. It doesn't say he was uh, or is the Son of God. It says he resembles him. So it's like saying Jesus is like Melchizedek. Melchizedek is like Jesus. Wow, okay, 18 minutes in here now already, and we haven't really said much except don't take the letter to the Hebrews as proof that Melchizedek is a heavenly divine being or figure. He, I think, quite likely, historic figure, the king of Salem, literally, and a priest of the Most High God, a man who loved and served the one true God in the time of Abraham. Okay, let's go back to the text now, and let's get to the point. Hebrews 7 where we're going, one of the first points the author makes is that the Melchizedek priesthood, this sort of idea of a Melchizedek priesthood, didn't really continue beyond Melchizedek that we know of. It may have, but we we don't know. Um, But the idea of, of this priesthood of Melchizedek is superior to the Levite or Levitical or Aaronic priesthood, right? Priests, all the priests of Israel after the time of Moses descended from Aaron, Moses' older brother, the firstborn of Moses' family, uh, and they all came from the tribe of Levi. And then every priest that would come after that was a descendant of Aaron of the tribe of Levi. So let's go to verse 5 now of chapter 7. Verse 5. Those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. Okay, let's stop there. So, in the ancient legal system of Israel, the law, the Mosaic law, the priests were entitled to receive a tithe from their people. So, that's how they were able to feed themselves and have a livelihood in the same way that 
the pastors in our churches, like me, get paid from the offerings of the people, the tithes. Right? That's why we encourage people to tithe to the church so that you know I can feed my family and we can pay our bills and we can keep doing our mission. And so likewise in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, the priests were tithed to by the people and that's what uh, paid for the expenses of maintaining the temple. All right. But then in verse 6, But this man, Melchizedek, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. He was not a descendant of Aaron. He was not a descendant of the tribe of Levi. He was this man totally apart from Abraham, uh, and yet he was tithed to as well. Okay? That's kind of important. Abraham, who then everybody, all the later... uh, Priests would come from his family. Um, Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And also, beyond that, it says uh, that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And then in verse 7, it says, It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In other words, Melchizedek then is demonstrating he is superior to Abraham. So, all in all... The point here is clear. A Melchizedek priesthood is superior to a a Levite priesthood. And Jesus is a priest of the order of Melchizedek. Wow. Okay. Now we're like 24 minutes into this and I still haven't got to what the point here is in Hebrews. This is heavy. I know this is a lot of stuff. Uh, uh, and I, I think you're probably glad I, I'm doing this in a podcast and not in a sermon because on a Sunday morning, this very well might put, might put you to sleep. In fact, uh, this very podcast might be excellent as a, a bedtime uh, uh, listening to help you fall asleep. But it's pretty cool. Anyway, what's going on here? Let's keep going. We're, 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 we're trucking through. Okay. Why does it matter that Jesus is like Melchizedek. What's what's the point here? What's the author of Hebrew? Why does he bring up all of this stuff? Well, first of all, this. Here's number one. Jesus isn't from the tribe of Levi, just like Melchizedek. Some Jews, in the time that this was written, Jewish Christians, were questioning their faith in Jesus. And that's why the book of Hebrews was written. And they might be feeling like Jesus maybe isn't legitimate as a priest or a leader of our faith because he's from the tribe of Judah. And everybody knows that according to the law, a priest has to be a Levite. But the author of Hebrews is like, well, you know what? Jesus isn't from the order of Aaron and the Levites. True, he's from the order of Melchizedek, which is way better. It's like Jesus can't play on our hockey team because he doesn't belong to our minor league. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Jesus doesn't belong to your minor league. He belongs to the NHL. He's from a way better league. Let the guy play. Trust him. He's better, right? Okay, <laughs> Hebrews 7.11 says this. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? He's saying, don't get too excited about the line of Aaron, the Levites. Nobody was ever able to be perfect enough, holy enough, to truly enter into a relationship with God through the efforts of thousands of years of the Old Testament priesthood. It just didn't get the job done. Something better was needed. 
And that's why this one has arisen after the order of Melchizedek, the better priesthood. Verse 12, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So this is saying that the law about priests having to be from the tribe of Levi, that doesn't matter anymore. There's been a change to the law. Since someone way better has come along, we're changing the rules. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the NHL player can now play in the minor leagues because we say so. <laughs> because he's better and we're going to allow it. It's another example of Jesus overruling the Mosaic law. Another significant moment. Okay. Go to verse 14 of Hebrews 7. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of, le of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, you know, genealogies, that sort of thing, but what authority... What, what requirement does authorizes Jesus to become a priest? Here it is. By the power of an indestructible life. <laughs> that is such a cool sentence. I love that. Jesus' authority as a priest doesn't come from the fact that he's from the right tribe in Israel. It doesn't have anything to do with his family tree. Nope, who cares? Jesus' authority as a priest comes from the fact that he rose from the dead that he beat death. He's indestructible. <laughs> I love that. And therefore, legitimate as a priest. Okay? So the first point, why does it matter that Jesus is like Melchizedek? Jesus isn't from the tribe of Levi, just like Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is better than the tribe of Levi, the Le Levitical priesthood. Melchizedek priesthood is superior. All right. The second reason that it matters that Jesus is like Melchizedek is that Jesus operates outside of the law, just like Melchizedek. Okay, sure, maybe Jesus can be a priest, we've established that, but he doesn't perform the priestly functions of the Jewish law. He doesn't go to the temple and perform sacrifices and all of that sort of stuff. So how can you consider him a priest? Interesting question, Jewish believer of the first century. Answer, Melchizedek was a priest of God before Moses was even born, before there was ever even a nation of Israel, let alone a law that was to come generations later in the time of Moses. The Melchizedek priesthood doesn't require the law. It exists apart from the law, just like Jesus. He exists, he supersedes the Jewish law. Okay, and third and final point on how why it matters that Jesus is like Melchizedek. Jesus, and I said this on Sunday too, Jesus is not only a priest, he's a king. He is a royal priest. Jesus is a priest and a king like Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem and a priest at the same time. Uh, the word Melchizedek means uh, righteous one or uh, king of righteousness. And the city of Salem, city of peace, He's the righteous one, the king of peace. Jesus, likewise, the righteous one, the king of peace. All right, in the first, now, let's tie this up. Nice little bow coming here. The first week in the Hebrew series, we talked about how Jesus is the best messenger. How he is the ultimate revelation of God. In other words, he's the ultimate prophet, right? He, is the, he supersedes all of the Old Testament prophets. Here we also see now that he is the ultimate priest. 
and the king of kings, the royal priest. So he is prophet, priest, and king. All of the offices of the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament priests, the Old Testament kings, starting with with Saul and David and Solomon and all those guys. Jesus is all three in one. Mind blown. That's so cool, right? Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Mic drop. That is amazing. All right. Woo, baby. This was longer than I wanted it to be. But I hope that this was really cool for you. And we could keep going, man. We could talk about 1 Peter chapter 2, where, uh, where Peter says that we as the church are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. What does that mean? A holy nation, a people for his own possession, and so on and so on and so on. What's that all about? Well, we could get into that too. Maybe I'll preach on that some other time. But let's, let's wrap this up. Um, Jesus is the great high priest, the king of kings, the prophet, priest, and king, all wrapped up into one. He's of the order of Melchizedek, superior to the Levitical priesthood in every way. He is a priest and a king, just like Melchizedek was. He is uh, above and beyond the Jewish law, just like Melchizedek was. He isn't from the tribe of Levi. Uh, Family heritage doesn't matter anymore in terms of our relationship to God. Jesus supersedes that too, just like Melchizedek. We don't know his family of origin. We don't know his genealogy. None of that mattered. Uh, he is, Melchizedek was the dude. He was the man. Jesus, likewise, is the one. Okay, that's it. I hope this was helpful. I hope you learned something. And uh, if I put you to sleep, bonus, you, gain, you also had a little bit of a nap, and that's, that's also something worth celebrating. So <laughs> thank you for listening to the Manual Truro Podcast. If you're a Bible nerd like me, you found this interesting. And, uh, and I hope to see you again soon. By the way, there's another interesting thing in the book of Hebrews that we're not going to have time on a Sunday morning to get to. And it is Hebrews chapter 6. There is some stuff in Hebrews chapter 6 that's very controversial. And it's about whether or not you can lose your salvation. Can you lose your salvation? Well, there's a question that has rattled around the brains of Christians for centuries and has been a point of much debate. Well, hopefully before too long, I'm going to have time before we wrap up the Hebrew series to do a podcast answering that question as well, looking at Hebrews chapter 6 and the question of can a Christian lose their salvation? So stay tuned for the next installment of the Emmanuel Truro podcast. I'm Pastor Michael Fredericks, your host and companion to your ears in podcast form. This is getting weird. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.